Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning sermon from February 27th, 2022 from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 2. So we continue our look at this story that God has placed in the Scriptures for us to give us a picture of who He is and what He is doing. Not just so many centuries ago, but even, even today, what God is, is up to, what God is doing. Last week we saw... God provide for Naomi and Ruth a measure of provision as He gave them food to eat, gave them a place to stay. He did that through, in part, His Word, His law that He had given Israel in a way to care for those who did not have anything, those who were outsiders and those who were widowed, orphaned. And we saw that God, through the obedience of of Boaz and through His own word, and even through Ruth herself as, a, as an outsider in Israel, that God provided for Naomi these things. And if Ruth, as a story, as a book, and it does, has a theme of redemption to it, and we know that's to be the case, and we know we're going to see that even more directly in the coming weeks. If we know that Ruth has a, has a theme of redemption, it also has, along with that, a theme of God's loving kindness as the foundation for that redemption. Multiple times in the book of Ruth, we see the word kindness. Saw it in chapter 1, we see it again this morning as we, in chapter 2. That word in Hebrew is the word hesed. It's a, it's a unique word. It's a word that doesn't quite fully translate into the English language, but it, we might have the word loving kindness. Years ago, I heard the story, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I heard the story of a, of a young kindergartner. And the teacher asked the kindergarten class, can you give me an example of kindness? And the, the, the young girl said, well, it's, it's when you're hungry and someone gives you some bread to eat. Well, that's good. And then the teacher asked, what is loving kindness? The same little girl said, it's when they put bread and jam on it before they give it to you. I almost fell off there, didn't I? That's a great little story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it sure does illustrate the point. For this morning, what we're going to see is that God didn't simply provide for Ruth and Naomi the basics. He didn't just give them some bread to eat. He he gave them more. He went above and beyond. He put jam and butter on it too. Ruth chapter 2, we're going to begin reading where we left off last week in verse 13 and finish the end of the chapter. Ruth said, I found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. And you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. 
Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the, whom, the, name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his maid so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning one more time, as we have already prayed and lifted our hearts up to you, we ask now that you speak to us through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 13, we wrapped up a conversation that Boaz had with Ruth from last week. And it was that invitation where Ruth is going to be provided for. He makes sure that she stays with him in his fields so that she can get all the grain that she needs to feed her and Naomi. And Ruth, upon hearing Boaz's invitation to not only uh, be welcome to, to glean the fields, and you remember we talked about this last week, what she was doing was this. The reapers would come through, cut down, uh, cut down the, the grain, and then there would be a group of, of, of female servants or family members that would come through and bundle it all up, tie it up together. So the first group's coming down, cutting it off, or cutting it down, laying it in piles. The next group comes up and like, ties it all up and bundles it up. And what the gleaners, like what, what Ruth would do, they would come in after that and pick up the stuff that fell on the ground. That was what she was doing, and it was a provision that God had given in His Word for the harvesters to provide for the, the widows and the orphans. And you might well imagine that while that's a provision, it's not a whole lot to just kind of pick up what everyone dropped along the way. But she was grateful for that, and, and Boaz had told her, don't, you stay with my fields because uh, I want to make sure you have enough to, to eat, and don't bother going to other guys' fields because it, it might be dangerous. And we see that a little bit later on in this chapter. So you stay here. So that's what's happened, and Ruth is incredibly moved. She says in verse 13 that she is comforted and indeed has spoken, that he's spoken kindly to her. It's, it's, this is the idea that she's been moved to, the, to her gut, so to speak, with the compassion and the grace of Boaz. So God has provided for her and Naomi's needs. But as we come to verse 14, we see that God goes above and beyond the basics here. And I don't want us to look past this, because at, four, at verse 14, it says that Boaz invited her to a meal. Now, we need to understand that at this point in time in history, and at this point in time in this culture, a meal is not simply time to get together and have some nutrition. A meal has meaning to it. In fact, even today in many cultures around the world, to share a meal means to welcome someone in. It's, it's not just basic hospitality. It's, it's cementing a friendship. It's, it's celebrating something new. It's, it's, welcoming them in the, it's welcoming somebody in and saying, you are one of us. You're no longer out there. You are in here. There's a meaning to this idea of coming in to a meal. Now, a couple things about this. You'll notice that when Boaz invites her in, and, and, and she, had, she was there, she was kind of on the outskirts, she, she knew her place, so to speak. She wasn't one of them. She is, as the Scripture keeps on reminding us, she's a Moabitess. 
She's not from there. She's not from Israel. She's on, she's on the outside looking in in a number of different ways. And so she's out here kind of on the fringes eating her lunch, whatever that might be. And so Boaz sees her and invites her in to be part of uh, the, the, the meal. It appears that Boaz had brought some food for his family, for his workers, for his employees, whatever that is, and said so they all sat down to lunch. And now a couple things here I want us to notice. Boaz is eating lunch with the people that work for him. Now, again, that's not normal either. Boaz is not one of these guys that lords it over other people. Boaz is a guy that says, yeah, you're working for me. I'm the one that owns all this. But guess who's having lunch with you? He's right in the middle of them. He is a, what we might say in, in, in New Testament terms, he's a servant leader. He is someone who, who doesn't excuse himself from hanging out with everyone because he thinks he's better, but he is right there in the middle of them. He's exactly who Christ was for us. By the way, God didn't really look at us and say, I want to save these people. He didn't say, I want to save them, but i got to keep my distance from him because they're just, you know, they're not all that. When, when Christ comes and becomes one of us, it is God getting in the middle of our mess. I know sometimes we think to ourselves, our lives are, 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 are full of stuff that have no business being around God's presence. And maybe we sometimes know that our sin separates us from God, but we, we maintain that distance. We don't think we're worthy to become in God's presence. That's, that's all true. But what God does when we can't come to Him, He comes to us. God is a God of getting off His throne and coming to us. And, and by the way, guess who we're supposed to be as followers of Christ? Those who get up out of their seat and go to those who might otherwise, we might think of not being quite what they need to be. We're supposed to be those people who get up out of our seat and move towards the Ruths and Naomi's of the world. Just like Christ did for us. It's called being a, some people look at what God did for us and Christ leaving heaven and coming to us on earth. And God is very much a missionary God. We talk about missions all the time. But what missions means to do is to leave your place where you're comfortable and get up and be God's presence to someone else. That's what Boaz does here. He invites her to the meal, brings her in. He's welcoming her in. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a more obvious sign of what he's already told her. He's already told her, you make sure to hang out with my people in my fields. And just to make the point, he says, and come in here and eat with us. And this meal would have been assigned to everyone around. She's one of us. Now, that's a big deal because she's not from there. She's from Moab. She's an outsider. She's of that people over there that worship another god. A pagan, so to speak. Her background isn't what we normally have here in Bethlehem. And yet Boaz goes out of his way to invite her in so that everyone sees she's part of the group. He's invited her to be seen as one of his people. He's going beyond meeting her basic needs and he's, he's exercising loving kindness. Now, if that wasn't enough, look at what else he did. Maybe we saw it look past this. So she sat beside the reapers. So she's, she's sitting with the, the workers out here. And he, that is Boaz, served her roasted grain. Not only did he invite her to be part of the meal, Boaz himself, the chief dude, the big cheese, he gets up, prepares her lunch, and brings it to her. Catch that. 
Boaz is going out of his way here to make sure that no one can mistake that Ruth belongs. She's one of theirs now, and she should be treated and accepted as such. He is exercising loving kindness. Do you see in this picture of of Boaz getting up and bringing food to her? Do you see the picture of Christ washing his disciples' feet? I do. Do you see him doing something that others would look at and go, Boaz, that's below you. You don't need to do that. That's not expected of you. Have one of your servants give her the food. Or more so, it's, it's a buffet. Let her come get her own food. And yet, Boaz goes to her and gives her that food. Do you see Christ washing the feet of the disciples? Do you see him leaving heaven for us? Do you see the mighty humbling themselves to serve the lowly? This is the loving kindness of God. I don't know about you. That should get you excited this morning. Because guess what you and I are? We're the lowly. We're the ones that God got up out of a seat, so to speak, and came to us and gave us what we needed. He came to us. This should excite you this morning. God, through Boaz, is showing Ruth and, of course, eventually Naomi, loving kindness. There is an abundance of grace and kindness in this meal. Later on in this chapter, I want, I want to skip down to verse 20 because this helps define for us what is going on in this chapter. Naomi gets home, or Ruth gets home later that day and talks to Naomi. And at the end, Naomi's asked her, who, who uh, did this? And she, she tells Naomi, it's Boaz. And in verse 20, she said, this man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Now, that's not the same word. This man's our relative. It, it's, it's literally a word that means he's one of those near to us. He's, 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 a, he's kin. But the next word, where you may have the word close relative, it's the word in Hebrew called goel. And it's what we often translate as the word redeemer. He is our kinsman redeemer. She says he's not just a relative. He's not just someone that's kin to us or kin to them through Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. But he is a kinsman redeemer. He is one that God has put in place to be our redeemer. Now, what does that mean? The word goel in Hebrew has a couple of different applications. Now, for someone to be that goel, it means that they were in a position or responsible for redeeming their kin, their, their family, in a couple of different ways. It might be through the purchase of property. If someone, had, someone in the clan, if someone in the family had lost property because they found themselves in debt or they, whatever it might be, they, were, they, were, they weren't able to sustain it, they weren't able to pay for it, they had to sell it to make amends for some debt, it was the goel's responsibility when he could to purchase that property back and bring it back into the family so that the family would not find themselves after some time destitute without the ability to support themselves. So the Redeemer would sometimes purchase land that had been sold to pay off a debt and bring it back in the family. Now beyond that, sometimes it meant actually purchasing the person back. Because sometimes in that day and age, in that portion of history, if you couldn't pay your debts and you'd sold your property, you had nothing else, you would actually engage yourself in what we now today would call indentured servitude. You would say to somebody, I now belong to you for the next three years, the next five years, or the next 18 months, or whatever it might be. I will work for you for free so to pay off my debt. And if someone gotten themselves into a long debt and they had a, a long uh, time of work and a long time of servitude to pay off that debt, it was the responsibility of the Goel to come in and say, I'm going to buy back my kinsmen to restore them to freedom and redeem them. 
It also might mean the Goel was also the one responsible for if someone had wronged the family. Let's say someone had killed someone, there had been a murder, whatever it might be. Someone had, had injured someone in the family. It was the Goel's responsibility to go and avenge and make sure it got made right. This was the, this was the, the role of the Goel. And so when Naomi finds out that Boaz has invited Ruth in and welcomed her in, she realizes that this man is potentially a redeemer. The one who can make things right and restore the name. Remember, Naomi has no children. She has no husband. The family's holdings are going to be gone as a result, but Boaz might be the one that God uses to redeem. And Naomi realizes this in verse 20. And one of the ways she realizes it, not just because of his name and his identity, because of what he, but because of what he's done. He's not only invited Ruth in to eat, but he has provided for her needs. He has brought Ruth in from being an outsider into the inside by him bringing her into this meal. Abundant grace in this meal. By the way, God's grace to us is always abundant. I want to read for you a few passages from the New Testament. Romans chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21, the law came in so the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, you can't look to God and say, you can't overcome what I've done. We have no ability to look at God and say, my sin is bigger than your grace. God's grace is always bigger than our sin. So there's not a single one of us in here this morning who can defeat God's grace. God's grace is abundant. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who strengthened me, Paul says, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet... I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, I am the chief of sinners, and yet, he says, Paul, we know Paul's history, he even was in the process of putting to death the people of God, and yet God's grace was more abundant than Paul's sin. Galatians chapter 4, beginning of verse 4, talks about how we are no longer slaves or servants of God, but we are in fact His heirs, His children through His grace. Ephesians chapter 1 says we have been adopted as His children, not by our deeds, but by the riches of His grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says that our, we may be weak, but in our weakness, His grace is always sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance in every good deed. John 1, 16, for, the fullness, for, for, for of His fullness, that is Christ, for of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. By the way, I didn't tell, I, was, I don't think I told Craig we were actually looking at that verse, John 1, 16, grace upon grace. And guess what we just sang a little bit ago? Grace on top of grace. That's where that comes from. In other words, God's grace is heaped and piled on. Yes, amen. <laughs> what, um, y- y'all ever been to uh, certain pancake restaurants and they give you the unending pile of pancakes? I'm, I'm just curious. What's the most pancakes everyone's, anyone's ever eaten? Anybody ever eaten at least five, six pancakes? 
Okay, a couple of brave girls go, yeah, I did. Um, Ten? <laughs> I saw a couple of people go, no. no you know what? It's an infinite stack of grace. You think a stack of pancakes is great. Grace on top of grace. This is what our Lord does for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a section of Scripture we may be familiar with. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what's he talking about there? By the mercies of God, present yourselves a sacrifice. In other words, not by your own abilities. Don't look at your life and go, well, I've got this much to give to God. I think I'll sacrifice that. That's, that's be honest. That's what we do, right? I've got this skill set. I've got this bank account. So I will sacrifice mm, this. I've got so many hours per week. I think I can sacrifice a couple on Sunday morning. He says, don't do that. He says, by the mercies of God. In other words, you're not looking at your own resources and going, that's what I will sacrifice. You're looking at God's resources and saying, that's what I'm going to give back. So how much grace, how much mercy has God given you? It's infinite stack, right? That's what you're pulling from, not you. You're not pulling from your own skill set. You're not pulling from your own talents. You're not pulling from your own time. You look at the infinite mercy and grace of God and go, that's what I got to pull from. Is that ever going to run out? No. Grace on top of grace. And this is what Boaz is showing Ruth in chapter 2. By the way, a couple more notes about that meal. Because we, we, don't, we don't tend to think of meals in the same sense today that perhaps they thought of, uh, even in many cultures today, or even for sure back then. It's kind of interesting. I, I did a little research on this this week. I kind of knew some of this, but that researchers and psychologists, not even Christians, have, have researched enough to know that sharing a meal together influences a people's relationship with one another. It just does. It confirms a, a sense of belonging or being part of a community. Offering food to others, no matter how plain or ordinary it might be, is, is part of a hospitality in most cultures, and it cements a relationship. There's even a, an older, older study by a couple of Yale psychologists that indicated that when you're trying to persuade somebody of something, that if you share food in the process, they become more open to what you're saying. So you want to convince someone of something? You want to have an influence on somebody's life? You want to share the gospel with them? You want to have some measure of, of, uh, of, of believability about you? No one way you can do that? Invite them over for a meal. Share, share that with them. That idea of hospitality. I even saw this the same study even said, beyond that, if you're actually sharing food out of the same bowl i know it makes some of you go <laughs> i've done that by the way I've, I've been in cultures around the world where you there's a there's, there's eight people around the table and there's one bowl and where you're kind of circulate you're kind of in a circle around it and your portion of the food is that little imaginary pie wedge right there that's in front of you and that's what you go for if you're lucky you get a spoon i just have your hands 
I know you're going, but in their research, they found that when people do that, it even makes, it, it, it breaks down the walls even more. Now, that being said, if you come over to my house or I ever go to yours, I would prefer utensils and my own plate. I'm just saying. The meal is something to bond around. So this is all going on when Boaz brings Ruth in. Now, look at what else has happened here. Not only has he brought her into the meal, but he's told uh, his servants about her. She's, she's on the inside now. He says there in verses 16 and 17 that, guys, she's not going to be waiting till the end to get the scraps left on the floor. She's going to come right in the midst of the family clan doing their stuff. And I want you to not only not get mad at her or be sarcastic to her or say mean things to her, I want you to accept her. And on top of that, I want you to, oops, I dropped it. Drop extra stuff. Make sure that if Ruth is where you are, you, you, you get real butterfingers that day. You drop a lot. You make sure that she has gotten well taken care of. You see this again when she talks to Naomi about what took place and she tells the, Naomi the invitation that she got from Ruth or from, from Boaz. And Naomi says, oh man, you've got to do that. And she even says so much as verse 22, so that others don't fall upon you. Um, the reality is, if you are a, a, an outsider in that culture and you're, on the, you're, you're, you're a widow and you're on the outskirts of all this, you are prey to those who have less than honorable intentions. And by being with the family, not only is Boaz pro, uh, providing for her, he's protecting her from not just verbal abuse, but perhaps even from physical harm. He's doing all these things to make sure that she is being taken care of. He's giving her safety. Now, on top of that, it says that she brought home that day an ephah of grain. How many of you know what an ephah is? Okay, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. How many of you went and bought an ephah of grain this week? Okay, the last time you bought something of an ephah is if you have a big dog. An ephah is somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. So if you got a big dog and you bought one of those big old giant things of dog food, there you go. She brought home after all day working and then beating it down and getting all the grain out. This is not the stalks, but, but it's just the grain itself. She brought home that day somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. That would be enough for her and Naomi for weeks. She came home in one day with more than what most people gleaning would have come home throughout the entire six to eight week harvest. All in one day. And Naomi's going, where did you get that? Boaz's servants obeyed him. She, he went above and beyond. Naomi there in verse 20 says, May he, that is Boaz, be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his, by the way, the word there, kindness, that's Hesed, that's loving kindness. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi was convinced that God was out to get her. She said twice in chapter 1 that God had it out for her. That God essentially was her enemy. It's almost like what Job says in his book, in his story. And here we are after this first day, and all of a sudden, through the generosity of Boaz, through Boaz being obedient and fulfilling his role, or beginning to fulfill his role, 
Naomi recognizes that God might be still full of loving kindness. That God might still be a God who goes above and beyond for those who are His. And that as Naomi and Ruth are being brought into fellowship with Boaz's clan, that there might be something going on here. By the way, in a few moments we're going to participate with what we call the Lord's Supper. We've been invited to the table. I hope you see how this works. I was talking to Craig a couple days ago, and I'd like to tell you this morning that I had all this planned out like six weeks ago. I did not. I, I told our deacons and our staff a few weeks ago, I want us to do the Lord's Supper. We haven't done it in a couple months. I'm ready for us to do the Lord's Supper. We'll just do the last of February. And I had not mapped out all of Ruth at that point in time. And it wasn't until this week I realized, oh, wait a minute. Boaz invited Ruth to a meal, and guess what? So have we been. You see, you and I have been invited to a meal as well, but not just any meal, but a meal where God's abundant loving kindness has been shown. And just as Ruth has been invited to be part of the family, to be a part of the community there in, in Bethlehem, and specifically with Boaz's family, the truth is, so have you and I. We have been brought into a relationship with Christ in Christ. And as we come in a few moments and share this meal, that's part of what we're doing. We're coming to the table. And God has said to us, come into my home, you who were once my enemy, you who were once hostile and alienated from me because of your sin, come into my home. Not only have I done the basic, not only have I paid the price for your sins, but now you will move not just from my enemy to a non-enemy, but you will come into my home. You will be one of my heirs, one of my children, one of my descendants. God's brought us in that way. He has shown us abundant love and kindness. So when we take the supper in a few moments, when we take the bread, we take the cup, we are celebrating and marking our inclusion into God's great, gracious family. That's what this means. It means that when we take the elements, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 says this, it's a trustworthy statement, for if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Romans chapter 6, verses 5, If we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves, no longer be outsiders, if you will, for he who has died has freed us from sin. Even though Naomi's not there, she sees God's loving kindness and redemption on the, on the horizon, and she recognizes this. As we prepare for the supper, we have been those who God has invited in. Through faith in Christ, we have been made those who are part of God's family. So this supper that we're about to take part, take part in, is, it's a family meal. Now, uh, let, me, let me say this. When I talk about our family this morning, I'm not talking about simply those of you who have actually, quote, joined First Baptist Church as a, as a member. I'm talking about those who are in the family of God for whom Christ has died and who have placed your faith in Christ. Because guess what? If that is you this morning, not only will we take part in this meal together this morning, but we are looking forward to a meal. We will all be gathered around the table one day. 
you know, as I look at the events of Ukraine, we mentioned this a few, few moments ago. One of the things that's encouraging is there's a lot that's very discouraging and heartbreaking about what's taking place in that nation right now. And the truth is, it's not just in Ukraine right now. There are people dying in conflicts all over the world, some of which aren't just on the news as much. But there are people who have been brought into the family of God in those nations and in places like Ukraine this morning, just like you and I have. And there will be a day when we will, face-to-face, side-by-side, take part in a meal together. i got to think that's going to be a really cool dining table. (laughs) So if you this morning are a member of God's family, and by that I mean this, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's you this morning. You have placed your faith in Him. You have responded to His invitation to be part of His family. This meal is for you because we're all in this together. So as we do that, I do want to do one thing first. We, maybe we don't do this as much as we used to, but some of you will remember back in the day, before the family dinner, you had to get ready for dinner. It might just be washing your hands. It might be making sure you don't stink <laughs> when you show up to the table. Paul is giving some instructions to the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth, about the Lord's Supper. And he says this. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, come to the table ready. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to take a few moments, we're going to participate just a few moments in taking the cup and the bread. But before we do that, we need to make sure that we're ready to eat, that we're ready for the table. And so I want to invite you to just simply bow your heads, close your eyes right now as we take the time of prayer. And I want to ask that you examine your own heart and conscience for a few moments. And if there's something there that would be sinful that has not been dealt with before the Lord, you deal with it right now. Do it right now. Father, bring to our mind this morning the things that we need to confess. Father, would you hear our pleas for forgiveness? Father, as David prayed, would you renew within us a clean heart? Restore to us the joy of our salvation.
we continue this morning, just an attitude of prayer, we're going to take the supper. Now, what you'll notice around you this morning is, if you're in the room, you'll see six stations around the sanctuary. You can, you can look. There's three up here in the front, and there's three in the back. And what I want to invite you to do is, we're not going to, we're not going to pass the plate, so to speak. We're just going to let you get up. There are cups and bread at each, at each station. And go and get it when you're ready for these, in these next few moments. Uh, maybe Dad.